Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We are in week two of our series called Exhibit His Glory. Now, the glory of God can be kind of tricky to define. We know the holiness of God, how God is completely pure and without fault, you know, and in a category all His own in a sense. But when it comes to the glory of God, that can kind of be tricky to define. Now, if you meet someone for the first time and they have no clue what a rugby ball is and they ask you to describe to them what exactly is a rugby ball, that would be a fairly easy task, right? You would describe to them how a rugby ball is made of rubber, polyester. You'll describe to them how the shape of a rugby ball is more oval than circular. You might even say it's something that Mordenay Stain uses to shame Lions players once every 12 years. Now, when it comes to beauty, say someone asks you to describe to them what beauty is. That's trickier, right? We can't describe beauty with any one definition necessarily. Beauty can be so many different things. Beauty can be when you're standing in front of a mountain and you are in awe about how beautiful the landscape is. Beauty can be when you're staring up at the night sky in amazement. Beauty can be a mother and her newborn baby. Beauty can be art or music or poetry. Beauty for me, it's that golden cup of coffee first thing in the morning. That for me, that's beauty right there. But to say that beauty is one thing, it wouldn't do justice to the word beauty. And it's kind of the same with God's glory, describing one single definition to that word or that phrasing of God's glory. It's, it's just not adequate in a sense. Last week, we spoke about the word glory and how the word glory in Hebrew literally translates back to the idea of weight or heaviness, significance, importance. Now, when we speak about the glory of God, it's taking all of His attributes, everything of who God is, His love, His mercy, His justice, His majesty, His authority, His power, His perspective on everything. And it translates into this idea of heaviness, the weight, the importance, the significance of who God is. The glory of God brings about His heaviness. Everything that's, that's heavy, everything that is significant in its mass, everything that's important, it kind of draws everything else into its space, into its orbit. I mean, we see this with people. Whenever someone famous or of great importance walks into a room, what happens? Everyone kind of gravitates towards that person. That person pulls other people into their orbit. We see this in space. The sun itself is so weighty in its mass that it literally pulls everything in our solar system towards its gravitational pull so that it orbits around the sun. 
black holes in space, they're the same. In fact, I have a fact right here, but they say the heaviest black hole that scientists have been able to measure, measures in at an astonishing 6.6 billion suns. <laughs> That's mass. That's weight. That is significance. That is something so important, so grand in its description that it literally pulls other things into its space so that those things orbit around it. Now, if we marvel at that, if we marvel at something in space or something in creation, take a moment and think about the significance or the weight or the heaviness of a being that speaks galaxies like that into existence. That black hole that I just spoke about, scientists, they, they call it the heavyweight champion of that galaxy. Imagine the heaviness, the weight, the significance of someone who spoke a galaxy, a black hole like that into existence. And the crazy part is, that's not even the crazy part, but the crazy part is that God uses certain aspects of his creation to make known that heaviness of himself, that glory, that significance of who he is. He uses certain aspects in creation, but the really crazy part is there's only one thing in creation that so closely resembles who God is, that so closely resembles God's likeness and God's image that God himself looks at that piece of creation and says of this piece of creation, when you look at this, this thing that I created, you'll see me. There's only one thing like that in creation. And guess what? It's you and me. You and I, we were made to exhibit the glory of God, the weightiness of who God is, the significance of who God is. You and I, we've been born with something inside of us that is so, that so closely resembles who He is, His likeness, His image, His character, that when He looks at us, He says it's very good. We were designed to exhibit His glory. And that's actually what we want to look at with today's sermon. So with today, we're going to be looking at three things. Firstly, how you and I, how we've been created to exhibit the glory of God. Secondly, we'll look at what exactly keeps us from exhibiting God's glory. And then lastly, we'll ask the question, but then what does a life look like that exhibits God's glory? So firstly, you and I, we were created to exhibit His glory. That's what this whole sermon series is about. And in Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, there are such important distinctions between Adam and Eve, man whom, whom God creates, and the rest of creation. We see that firstly, when God creates man, He decides to add an additional word in His description of man. Everything else up until that point in creation, God had described described as good. But then when God starts forming Adam, when he takes the earth, he molds it and he breathes life into Adam's bones, into his being, he suddenly stops and he describes it as very good. Not just good, but very good. You see, suddenly God is placing a more significant title on humans than anything else in creation up until that point. Everything else up until that point was good. Man, Adam and Eve that God created to bear his image, to look like him, to bear his likeness, to, to live in relationship with him. He suddenly describes man as 
very good. What does God do by that? He lifts the significance of you and me to a place that nothing else in creation can fulfill. Secondly, when God creates Adam and Eve, He gives them additional kind of purpose and meaning. Everything else God had created up until that point, He created it and it started sustaining itself. Plants started to grow. Animals started to live and eat vegetation and all of that. Everything was put into its place. But then when God creates Adam and Eve, He suddenly gives them additional purpose. He gives them authority. He tells them, subdue the earth, exercise authority over everything that you see around you. Now, why is that? Is that because Adam and Eve were more important than everything else that had been created? Well, yes and no, in a sense. Yes, in the fact that they were important, they bore a significance over their lives, but it wasn't because of anything that they had done up until that point. No, it was because they bore the image of the God that they had been created in His very likeness. That is what made them significant. It's because they were made to exhibit something of God's nature something of the weight or the significance or the importance of who God is that nothing else in creation was able to do at that point. And that's where you and I come in. We were made in the exact same likeness, in the exact same image. And just like Adam and Eve, the original design for mankind, you and I, we've been created to exhibit something of God's glory in our everyday lives. Now, the word exhibit means to display publicly or to manifest clearly. If you look it up, that's the definition of the word exhibit. Your life and my life, we've been designed to publicly display God's glory and to manifest clearly who He is. Now, what keeps us from exhibiting God's glory? I know many of you are already thinking this. Many of you are already thinking, well, that's just too high a standard to live up to. I can't exhibit God's glory. Aiden, you have no idea what a mess I've made of my life. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too many times. I, I can't bear the weight. I can't bear the weight to display the God who is that incredible, that wonderful, that awesome, that glorious. I can't take that kind of pressure. And you would be right in a sense. You see, sin and brokenness and guilt and shame, those are all things that keep us from exhibiting God's glory, which is our intended design and purpose. Maybe you feel like Ezra in Ezra chapter 9, verse 6, where he prays, My God, I am too ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face toward you. Because my iniquities, it's higher than my head and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Maybe you feel too embarrassed. Maybe you feel guilty. Maybe you feel like the tax collector described in Luke 18 verse 13 where it reads, the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even want to come close to the temple. He was that ashamed of his life. Stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He beat his chest in sorrow and prayed, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Maybe that's where you are. 
Maybe something rings true of the purpose of exhibiting God's glory in your life, but you just can't see yourself living that life because of the shame, the guilt, the pain, the sin that's wrecked your life or wrecked the lives of those around you. Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you don't feel ashamed to say. Maybe you believe or think that you're a good person. You can think that. Maybe you think you've grown up in a good Christian home. You've lived a morally upright life. You've never murdered anyone. You, you haven't sinned necessarily that bad. You know, we we'll always do that in church where we kind of think, well, at least I'm better than the person next to me, right? If God had to compare our levels of sin, like I would definitely come out on top. The person next to me is way worse. <laughs> but you know, the truth is the pride you take in your own good works the pride you take in your own good, morally upright life, that thing itself also prohibits or keeps us from exhibiting God's glory. Why? Because your sense of accomplishment in your good works is simply a fruit of a life that orbits around yourself. Isaiah 64 verse 6 describes this problem. He writes, we are all infected. All of us, no one escaped the infection. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, because isn't that what we normally do, right? When we start feeling guilty, we just start piling on the good works, you know? But when we display our righteous deeds, get this, it writes, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sin sweep us away like the wind. Compared to God's glory, compared to God's standard of holiness, our bad works and our good works, they fall massively short of the standard of God's glory. Over and over in scripture, we see the pain and the devastation that comes from this inability to exhibit God's glory because of the problem of sin and pain and shame and devastation in our lives. Get this, Moses could only bear a glimpse of God's backside when God made his goodness pass uh, in front of Moses in Exodus 33. He couldn't bear the full glory of who God is. Priests had to tie ropes around their waists in case they died from the glory of God's presence while performing worship in the temple. There's a poor man in 2 Samuel chapter 6 called Uzzah. This poor soul never stood a chance. But this man, he literally fell down dead on the ground from accidentally touching the Ark of the Covenant. His physical body could not even bear that level of glory radiating from the Ark of the Covenant that housed God's presence through the Old Testament. He fell down dead because of it. You see, we were made to exhibit God's glory, but there are things that keep us from it. Our sin, our shame, our pain, our brokenness. When we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it keeps us from living in that intended purpose, which is exhibiting his glory. But here is where the good news come in. I know you've all been waiting for the good news. We are finally at the good news. But there is a man that made it possible for us to bear that original likeness, that original image that God created us for. And that was Jesus. 
Listen to some of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus, promising the one who would come to restore order and bring about God's glory and restore God's glory in mankind as well. Isaiah 35 says the following of Jesus, that eyes will be opened, deaf ears will be unstopped, lame will leap like deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy, water will gush from the wilderness and streams from the desert. Isn't that wonderful? Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I'll proclaim good news to the poor. I'll bind up the broken heart that proclaim freedom to the captives. Daniel 7 is another Old Testament prophecy, but it describes Jesus like this. In my vision, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, get this, and I was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all people came to worship him. You see, we cannot speak of God's glory and not speak about his son, Jesus. God's glory, it points to the manifestation of the work, the finished work of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Here's the thing, Jesus forsook glory. He gave it up. He came as a fragile human baby in flesh and blood. He died a death that is described as the most excruciating and humiliating death there ever could have been so that God's glory over sin and death can be made public, can be exhibited, can be put on display. But not only his power over sin and death, but his calling over your life and my life as well to exhibit his glory. I can't exhibit God's glory if I don't know Jesus, if I don't understand the work that Jesus has done on the cross for me. This is a very important kind of moment to pause because if you understand the work of Jesus, it will to a very large extent determine two things in your life. When I understand the work of Jesus, I will never ever approach God like a worm and I will never ever approach life like a loser. Isn't that something we do so often? We approach God as if he's yet to send Jesus. We approach God in the way we pray, the way we worship, the way we do life as if he's yet to do something about the problem of sin. We approach God full of guilt, full of shame, fearful of punishment, or even worse, we approach life like losers. Like life is something to just be endured, to be suffered through until eventually, finally Jesus comes back and he takes all the other loser Christians with him back to heaven. When he finally removes us from this awful world and all the awful things that take place in the world, that is not exhibiting God's glory. Exhibiting God's glory is not abstaining from the world. So what does a life look like that exhibits God's glory? Over the next few weeks, we are gonna to continue to dive into greater detail about what that looks like. Practically, we'll look at what it means, you know, to live a, a life that is full of faith, hope and love that brings about God's glory in everyday living, but not in an airy fairy fridge magnet kind of way. No, we are gonna look at what, it is, what does it look to make, to make God's presence tangible 
on this earth to exhibit his glory in a way that nothing else in creation can. That is the role you and I get to play. I want to read a scripture for us from Matthew 5. This is in the message translation. It's from verse 13. It starts off by saying, let me tell you why you are here. If you're watching this on your own or with friends or family or your community group, or if you're new to our church, this, let me tell you why you are here. This is where you need to listen up. But it says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. Isn't that wonderful? If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in garbage. Here's another way to put it. <clears throat> You're here, you are here to be light, bringing out the God colors of this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? If I put you on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt others to open up with God, our generous Father. Matthew 5 describes a life that exhibits God's glory. But take note, he's not simply writing on how to live a holy life. No, it's much, much more than that. He's writing on living a life that is full of God, that puts God's presence tangibly on display for the world around us. Say, so we often say we ought to be holy, and that's good. That's a good thing to say and to believe. We should be holy. But holiness, my friends, is much more than abstaining from sin. It's much more than that. Why can we say that? Because you see, God was holy long before sin even existed. So when we talk about God's holiness, we can't only describe it as the absence of sin. That means we also can't speak of our holiness as the mere absence of sin. It has to be much more than that. Living a holy life, living a life that exhibits God's glory is not abstinence. Abstinence has never been God's solution to anything. It never was. Otherwise, Jesus could have also just abstained from the earth, kept his distance, not mingle in with the pain, the shame, the brokenness, with the problem of sin that prohibits people from living out their purpose, which is to exhibit his glory. No, what did Jesus do? He became a part of it. He dove headfirst as a perfect sacrifice. He dealt, he got his hands dirty while dealing with pain and sin and shame and brokenness so that you and I can be restored to that original likeness. I want to end off with the, the space illustration again. You see, exhibiting God's glory means he is the heaviest one in my universe. It's as simple as that. God becoming center, the one with the greatest mass, the heaviest one, the most significant one, the most important one in your universe, that's exhibiting God's glory. You see, because when God becomes the center, everything else in my life starts orbiting or gravi gravitating around Him and His glory. You see, suddenly my time is no longer my time, but my time starts gravitating around God's purpose, His glory, His holiness, His awesomeness in a sense. 
suddenly my uh, talents are not only for my own success or significance or accomplishment. No, my talents start gravitating, orbiting around God. Same with my treasures, my finances, the way I do life starts orbiting around the weightiness of God. What can you do this week to exhibit God's glory? What can you do practically in your classroom, your office space, your family? We especially wanna take time to encourage all our community groups this week to make this extremely practical. The idea of exhibiting a life that puts God's glory on display. My friend, I wanna encourage you, don't settle to live a life that exhibits your own glory because it won't last. Don't settle to live a life that will exhibit the glory of your time, your treasures, your talents, your significance, your success, your accomplishments, your family, your safety, your security, because guess what, it won't last. You're not heavy enough. You don't carry enough mass when it comes to eternity to be the center of something. Only God carries enough importance, significance, mass, heaviness to be the center of something. For our community groups this week, pray. Pray and ask God to reveal to you a space in our city that needs an exhibition of His glory. Plan a strategy. Think of something practical you can do in your community group or with your family members, your co-workers, your friends, whoever. Participate. Set a date within the next three weeks where you plan something, a moment, street evangelism, hospital prayer, handing out sandwiches, taking part in serving Saturday but make a plan, put out something in your calendar, not just for a moment, but in a lifestyle that will exhibit God's glory, that will put His presence on display for the world to see. That's the promise for us as a church. That's the promise for us who follow Jesus, that He longs for us to live a life that will make His glory cover this earth like waters cover the sea. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that in Jesus, you have fully restored us to live a life that is able to put you on display. And Father, we as a church family, we wanna stand in faith for all our partners, for everyone watching this, that they would have a moment of surrender. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus remove yourself from the center of your universe, put God in His full mass, significance, heaviness, importance, put Him in the center and everything else starts to orbit around Him. Maybe you need to do that. Father, we pray for those who in this moment want to make their lives orbit around your purpose, your glorious purpose of making known your tangible presence on this earth. We pray for our church that we would be known Father as a people who make known your glory in this city and in the cities around the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.